there's some excellent drivers out there, but but as we know, there's always just a little growth opportunity for every single one of us in the fire service. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the podcast for firefighters. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again on Code 3. Okay, engineers, here's another episode just for you. Today we're discussing how to be a better fire apparatus operator. My guest today points out that if fire departments just wanted a truck driver to do the job, they could recruit at truck driving schools. There's a lot more than that required to be an engineer, and Brian Gittermeyer is here to give us a list. Brian is a second-generation firefighter with 25 years on the job. Most of them have been as a career firefighter with the Cottleville Fire Protection District of St. Charles County, Missouri. Yeah, it's true, I had his chief, Rob Wiley, on a couple weeks ago. Brian Gettemeyer, thanks for being on Code 3 today. I appreciate the opportunity. Let's start with the basics. How would you describe the primary job of the engineer? Uh, the primary job is, is the responsibility of the truck, is to take care of it from the time he walks in the door to the, the time he walks out the door at the end of shift change or at the end of a call for a, a volunteer department. Um, you know, typically we focus on just doing that, that basic truck check in the morning, and then it, it gets more to pumping the apparatus uh, once we, we arrive on a call. And I just think it's so much more than, than just driving and pumping. Well, let's go over that. What is a meaningful truck check in the morning? For me, meaningful truck check is is to really know your apparatus, is to uh, know that inventory forwards and backwards and recognize when things are missing, um, especially those little little used items that uh, that sometimes get overlooked. They're, they're tucked away in a compartment, and we don't use them very often, and, and then all of a sudden we need it, and it's like, oh, man, it's missing. Um, and, and just making sure that the water tank's all the way full I mean, there's a lot of play in those water gauges, and, and you could be a couple hundred gallons short in your booster tank, and the booster tank's still showing A-OK. Um, for me, as a guy on the end of the line, that, that couple hundred gallons is, is a minute or two interior for me. So uh, so that that's really important. Um, making sure the air bottles are all full. Again, uh, as, as a guy interior, a couple of hundred PSI is, is, is a matter of minutes on the interior, too. So... It's just knowing that that truck is is in good working order, is ready for us to go out the door uh, when when the bell rings, and and that everybody everything is there. Now, just as an estimate, can you tell me, let's say, what percentage of engineers actually do all that versus the ones that maybe slid slide for a day or two? Boy, that'd be hard to put put your thumb on there. I, I see drivers uh, in various departments and talk to other firefighters, and there's some awesome drivers out there. Uh, a friend of mine, I swear, he can smell up the oils a little low as soon as he walks through the through the door of the station. He's just that in tune to the truck. And then there's other times you you see that position is is more almost a retirement in place. It's buying the guy a couple years 
uh, towards the end of his career and he's, he's old and he's a little tired and, and, uh, and sometimes it's just easy just to say, Hey, you know what? I, I trust the driver before me. The trucks have been in good working order for 20 years now. And, and I'm sure today it's in good working order too. So, um, there's some excellent drivers out there, but, but as we know, there's always just a little growth opportunity for every single one of us in the fire service. Now, a great engineer should know his territory, where the left turn bays are, what streets are one way, but how are they going to learn this except by experience over time? Well, we we got to get our guys out on the road, and, and even starting in the back step, uh, uh, as our new firefighters that are, are striving to drive is the kind of start guessing the route when the call comes out, especially on an EMS call. If, if you're an aspiring driver, start thinking about the route that you would take. Um, start looking over that driver's shoulder and, and seeing the little subtle things like, like you talked about that center Island that, that makes it hard to, to hook the engine into an apartment or something like that. Um, and then the rest is the driver uh, driving the route, paying attention when you're driving into work, uh, uh, what changes are out there uh, when we're driving out to the grocery store or training or, or doing our company inspections, uh, just kind of looking at, at the traffic conditions and the road conditions and what uh, what things are changed if a new apartment's going in. Again, where's that center median that's going to make it hard for me to, to get the engine in there? And it's just kind of getting out on the road and, and paying attention. Let's talk about parking the rig at a scene. You know, when you arrive at a scene and there's nothing showing, I think the temptation is to just say, ah, it's nothing. But, of course, if there's a problem after you park, then you got to move the rig. So what, what do you suggest as a good idea for the on-scene staging? The uh, the guys that wrote 25 to Survive book, they, they talk about tactical positioning, and, and I think that's exactly right. We should act like all alarm soundings are working fire, so I should pull up to that, that front of that structure like it's on fire. Um, so many times it's easy when we, we, we run that school that that the alarm goes off habitually and we pull up in front of it, and it's easy for the driver to pull up and kind of open the doors like the bus stop for us to get out to go in to confirm that false alarm and, and get back on the bus and, and go back home because uh, it's kind of a routine. But there's going to be that one day that that routine alarm is going to be an actual fire. So we should think about, hey, if this building was on fire, where would be my ideal way to park the engine, um, leave room for the ladder to make sure I'm not in the collapse zone, make sure I can deploy lines easy, get a water supply easy. Um, and that, that's really what we need to be thinking about on all our buildings uh, when we pull up. If, uh, if we got new drivers, the perfect place to do that is per- just practice it on EMS calls. Like if we pull up on an EMS call, just park your truck like, like it was a fire. Pull a little past the building so you can see three sides. That'll let you, see the, the, that'll let you have some room for the ambulance to park. And, and, and we can start practicing parking that truck, and the, the captain can kind of fine-tune his expectations with that new driver on on where he would want that apparatus or she would want that apparatus uh, staged if, if that house was, was on fire. I'm glad you mentioned that thing about looking at three sides because I was actually going to bring that up. If you have a captain who likes to do that, is that ever a problem in terms of saying, yeah, but I wanted to park back there? 
Well, ultimately, it's the captain's responsibility, that company officer's responsibility on seeing that building and deploying the tactics and staging the apparatus. And I think some of that has to be that conversation uh, that they have with their apparatus operator is what's my expectations on, on a first alarm? Absolutely. There are, there are some fires out there where it's, it's easy to stop short because it's better positioning for a hydrant. Um, and, and we have to have that, that conversation um, with our company officer and, and maybe say, Hey cap, I need to, sh- I need to stop a little short if you want me to grab that plug right there and then he can get out there and he can walk his 360 around the structure. Um, but, but I know most company officers like to do that, that quick pass to see all three sides, but that's just, that's just really setting that expectation between a, an officer and his driver up front and then having that open line of communications when we pull up in front of there to say, Hey, did you see this? Can I stop a little short? And I assume that conversation should take place before you ever get out to a scene in terms of, well, I like to do it this way, well, I like to do it that way. And if you have that talk before you get out there, you're probably better off. Absolutely. I, I think it's important for crews to establish their their kind of their rhythm and uh, uh discuss what their expectations are. So when, when we first to get together assigned as a crew to set those expectations, or if we have an overtime person or a, a floater assigned to our company that, that we set our company's expectations with, with that driver. So often when you have a, a sub coming to your station because of a trade day or overtime or a, a floating situation, we just, we kind of just say, Hey, you're along for the ride um, sometimes. Cause that's easy to do. And really, we need to have that conversation in the morning to say, hey, th- this is our expectation. Um, this is my expectation. You you tell me what's your expectation of me and, and kind of have that, that conversation up front and kind of have it often. After we get back from an alarm, say, oh, hey, uh, I you stopped a little short. I need you to go up a little bit farther in, in a building or a situation like that in the future and, and just keep – keep those those lines of communications open. So once we're at the scene and the lines are charged, what do we do next? Is it just enough to watch the panel or do you expect more out of an engineer? I personally expect more out of my engineers. Uh, you know, I, I see organizations and I see guys out there where that engineer seems like he's chained to that pump panel. Uh, he can't go very far, but uh, uh, there's so much more that engineer can do that once once the water is flowing, the truck is kind of set, and yes, we have to watch the panel, but start looking for a water supply, trying to figure out uh, where my water supply is. If my hydrants are far, maybe just stretch a line out so the next truck uh, can can give you their tank water, and that at least gives you a little bit of a, a tank backup. Uh, um, you know, start staging equipment. If, if you see the crews making the stretch and, and uh, uh, doing the 360, Stage the forcible entry equipment, stage the fan, uh, make sure that doors are blocked open, like particularly garage doors are blocked open um, so they don't cut the, the crew off. Stage some red equipment. Um, God forbid the guys go inside the front door and, and fall through the floor. It'd be really nice to have a ladder stationed in the front yard that we can put, quickly put down in a basement and hopefully those guys can, can get out of there. Um, so there, there's a lot of stuff that – that as a driver, and most of our drivers have 
pretty good experience. They've been around for a while, so they've seen some fires, and, and they should have a pretty good idea as if I was the company officer, what would I need next? What what trouble could I run into um, and, and start staging that stuff uh, ahead of time? You know, be careful not to freelance. Be careful to, to meet the, the expectations of your uh, – your company officer, but, but try to, uh, try to stage some of that stuff just to help those guys out just in case something goes bad. And freelancing is where I was going next. How do you define the difference between helping the crews by staging equipment and freelancing where you get too far away from the rig? That's a fine line right there. Yeah, I thought uh, you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that gets to be a really, really fine line there. Uh, uh, because you are, as a driver, a lot of times you're operating independently. And and for us in my area, we do 20-minute marks. And and most of the time, the, comp- the company officer is accounting for his guy's interior and just trusting that that engineer is still outside in the safe zone. So, um I think a lot of that is back to my, my company uh, expectations, talking to my, my company officer, talking to my, my shift leader on, on how far can I go away from the truck? In my world, my, my bread and butter incidents are residential fires. So I'm not too far from the truck because, because the driver pretty much stays in front uh, of the, of the structure. So it's easy to, to pace back and forth between the truck, but yes, you can't, can't be going around to the, the Charlie side of a, a commercial business uh, to try to help something out because you're you're well beyond uh, your 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 leash to your truck uh, to to say so you have to be really really cautious in there and make sure you don't get in the hazard zone. Some of us when we drive, I mean the the fires are few and far between, so it it's easy to get kind of sucked up a little closer and closer, and then all of a sudden the next thing you know you're you're in the collapse zone. You're you're inhaling smoke. You're in the ideal H atmosphere, and and by that point, you're you're way too close to that incident. You know, let's go back a second because I should have asked this sooner. Where do you stand on driver engineers who experience road rage? And by that, I mean I was talking to a captain who said the problem with road rage is that the only person who hears you is me. And I don't I like, need that kind of stress. <laughs> I like I like that captain's view of that. Um, I, I don't think their road rage ha- has any business uh, in the apparatus. Um, it, it's it's easy to to get frustrated with drivers. You're you're trying to negotiate um, congested streets, and, and people are are not paying attention to you, or, or you're trying to guess what a driver is going to do and how they're going to react and whether they're going to react properly. And, and, and it gets frustrating as you're trying to, particularly on a call that that's a little bit more stressful, the, the, the working fires, the, the critical medical calls, and you're trying to work through an intersection or work through traffic that to not get frustrated, but really to, to be a true driver, we, we have to accept that. We have to accept that, that people are not going to get in our, our, our people are not going to get out of our way. People are going to act um, in a way that we didn't think they were going to act. And we just have to control our emotions and, and, and go through. I mean, we can crank that cue siren up all we want. We can blow the horns, but if the traffic is gridlocked, there's no place for those people to go. So 
it, it's back off, take a deep breath. When they can get out of our way, they will, and we can proceed on to the call. But but if you're angry, you tend to uh, sometimes be a little bit more aggressive, which puts everybody at risk at that point in the apparatus. All right, some great advice and things to remember. Brian Gittemeyer, thanks for being with us today on Code 3. I greatly appreciate it. And there's more material on our website at code3podcast.com slash driver. Go check it out. Now here's Holly. Thanks, Scott. If you've been thinking about making a monthly pledge to support Code 3, we have an even better reason for you to do it now. We've started a new subscriber-only benefit. It's called the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more material from some of our interviews. Interesting stuff that didn't make it into the regular show, but only patrons get to hear it. So head over to Code3Podcast.com slash support and make a pledge of $10 a month or more, and you'll get immediate access to the Bull Session. Don't miss it. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.